this talk is about the archetype for the archetypes for the sixth energy center, the intuitive center, the intellectual center of the body. And uh, I guess kind of as a precursor to it all, um, just remembering again that you will see yourself likely in a, a spectrum of this, uh, the intellect on one extreme end in its most negative uh, seemingly aspects and then the intuitive and in, in the other end in its most positive positively seeming aspects and then just remembering there's a really big area to traverse between the two and we swing and oscillate in and out of both of these things most of us uh, all the time so um, which one do we want to start with let's do let's do intellect because i think that's um an energy that a lot of people are in most of the time. So it's probably pretty easy to identify with okay. and understand. So the sixth chakra is concerned with the way that we perceive. And you guys know from the talk in the intro and in the overview, it's concerned with our sight. Sight meaning our eyes and the sight that we see beyond our eyes and beyond our senses. And so when we're looking at how do we process and receive information, uh, how do we see things when we get information, and how do we use the information that we get. And the intellect, uh, being the quote-unquote negative archetype for this one, is exactly what you said, uh, you know, it's in the head. And most people, most of us are typically in our head. And the head isn't bad, it's necessary and it's helpful. But when we are thinking of the archetype of the intellect, uh, sort of as a place of having an unbalanced amount of energy in this in this place of the spectrum of possibilities what we're looking at is usually someone displaying uh, rigidity rigidity around ideas and concepts a need to know all the time uh, controlling chaos trying to master chaos mm. so sort of absolutist in their thinking on yeah when we get go all the way to one end of the pole yeah absolutely so there's no room for things that are outside of logic analysis and concrete fact yes evidence is really important facts yeah. are really important science is really important math is really important the things that as a culture in this lifetime for the last couple thousand years really that's a generalization but for the most part that's what we've placed emphasis on as being important. The seen and the measured versus the mm -hmm. unseen and the unexplainable, ineffable. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of this comes from a fear of, you know, the unseen is mysterious, it's unseen, mm -hmm. and you can't control it, but you really want to. Mm. It feels safer, you know? But the unseen is the force that, you know, makes no sense, that track it as we may, we can never fully understand why uh, that earthquake occurred or that volcano erupted. We might be able to figure out some aspects around it, but you know, we seek to know in order to um, feel better, feel safe. Sometimes, actually, mm. to create more safety. You know, mm. if you know uh, when a volcano might erupt, then you could plan your community in a certain way uh, to not be in the the flow of the lava that might come down. But it's beyond that. It's like. I need to know so that I can control and conquer. Yeah. And this is really like 
what we see emphasized in schools it was what we see emphasized you know in elementary and secondary school in college and university the need to know supersedes most things and by knowing in the intellect we are really referring to um, typically when we've gone all the way to the pole and extreme of it someone is not trusting their feelings mm -hmm. knowledge over feelings and feelings are seen as weak and irrational they're judged totally judged yeah and sometimes you know it's thought like sometimes you actually someone could be very intuitive in childhood and maybe you were told you're so sensitive mm -hmm. like or you know they were they talked about seeing something you know like paranormal and they were ridiculed or don't talk like that or you know we're taught there's no such thing there's no such it thing gets yet. shut down a lot yeah we're taught to turn these things off because i think that uh, it's seen as dangerous i mean there's a long history as to why we're taught to turn these things off but we there's, there's no concrete value per se it seems mm -hmm. that's definitely part of it there's no value and there's the ability to see things beyond what is right in front of you and discernible by your five senses um can be can be dangerous like or is thought to be dangerous like if you can and i can't then that's dangerous so i want to shut you down so that you don't see that way mm -hmm. That's part of it too. And and if we really want to dive deep into it, the aspect of, again, not meaning male or female or nothing gender related here, but the energy of the feminine, right? If we just, that, that energy that is of the feminine, divine feminine, however you call it, that is something that we're, in our patriarchal culture, we're very uncomfortable with. And it is the mysterious and the unknown. Mm -hmm. And so we try to uh, button it up as best we can mm -hmm. and put a lid on it. And so I think the fear of the unknown drives people into the archetype of the intellect up in the head. And so much of that is related to our feelings. Like our feelings are what inform our experience and we're taught to deny them. Don't cry. Anger is bad. Be happy. Put on a smiley face. Say something positive. Yeah. So we're taught to think our way through things. And a lot of times when somebody is going through something, we, we try to stop it. Even like uh, when I'm working with people, they're learning the ropes of helping and assisting people in this type of work. The first, one of the first things that comes up will be in a group setting. Someone will have a breakthrough and cry. And then people will like well-intentioned women will, will hug and comfort. It's okay. It's okay. Like comforting the person. But ultimately it's like say, sort of sometimes can be perceived for the person experiencing the emotion. Like, be quiet, be quiet, be done now. Or if it's okay, what they're experiencing and feeling must be inherently wrong or bad in some way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the <clears throat> the consoling, the sort of, yeah, really the consoling is an attempt to sort of stop it because mm -hmm. the person doing the consoling might feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or assume yeah. that the person feeling the feeling must be uncomfortable. And we've been taught that. We come by it very honestly, like to be vulnerable in that way um like truly vulnerable to ex take off a mask and express a deeper layer in front of people is really scary it's not the contrived vulnerability of just like sharing something which isn't necessarily contrived but it, I, I, it can be it can be it's like really truly uh risking something to be crying in a group you know um or at least it feels like it's risking something so we're taught to suppress these things and so the intellect the archetype of the intellect gets rigid and it gets stuck in its thoughts and it, you, it needs to know and it intellectualizes everything. 
everything. I get stuck in this sometimes where, um, like, I really want to know about my spiritual journey. Like, I want to know what this earth is. I'm like, is this a real planet? Am I in a simulation? Is there some kind of matrix? Like, what's really real? Sometimes I'll have deeply intuitive experiences that point to the fact that my reality isn't quite what it seems. And so then my intellect will kick on and be like, I, I want to know. So what is it then? Like, what's mm-hmm. going on? What is yeah. this place? And I can start to loop in circles, like trying to know the unknowable. Because it's a lot safer for me. Like, if I sense that it's it's not all what I think it is, what do I do with that if I can't process it in my mind? Well, there's a difference between, you know, coming to terms with it's not all that we think it is and then therefore trying to figure out what it is then. Right. I get stuck there a lot. I want to know what it is then. So if it's a giant, I mean, most literature that I take as being um, really valuable talks about the everything that they have many words for it. Maya the illusion, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all a great illusion. And so, you know, what what is the illusion? When you peek behind the veil and you kind of see the operating structure of the illusion and you come back to have to live in the illusion, for me, that can be kind of off-centering and maddening. So my intellect wants to know. So I intellectualize my spiritual journey many, many times. And I have to keep coming back and being reminded by teachers, like, you cannot know. No, you cannot know. It's quite presumptuous for us to think that we can possibly comprehend it at least i think so when i'm trying in the loops about trying to figure it out or i've grasped some sort of certainty on what it could it could be i'm almost always inevitably proven wrong like oh it's not it might be that and here's also another possibility and sometimes i have to come to terms with the fact that for me like maybe i'll never know that's a hard one, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a hard one. Um, so how does it manifest, right? Like, if if we all go into this, because most of us do, or, you know, we, we head up into varying degrees of it. Some of us might get caught in the intellectualizing the journey. Some of us might become rigid in our beliefs. There's many different ways this can manifest. One of the most extreme ways it manifests is... Um, having a lot of rules about everything so like being opinionated like you know having to boss other people around being like it's my way because I formed all these really solid beliefs that I think are definitely right um, which is is just a structure of protection for the deep place inside that knows it doesn't know Mm. so we have I formed all these beliefs and the more people I persuade to think like me you know the more safe I feel in those beliefs so you can sometimes see this uh, I mean people in the intellect can be absolutely masterful with their presentation of words they can be really really keen uh, in in this way and it's not all bad like we're not we're I'm not talking about the intellect here as in the mind and saying get you know that the, that's unbalanced to be in the mind I'm talking about the archetypal energy of the intellect sort of possessing and holding someone um, Someone who's not able to sort of step out of that intellectual suit and see things from another perspective to gain balance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we see that, it can be, um, it can be hard. 
to to th this is a very difficult one to break out of if you have to have facts figures you're rational and you have to have proof of things you know uh it's very difficult to break out of it's a, and it's difficult to break out of in its in the nature of what it is like it has so much insight it has engendered so much resistance because it can articulate all these defense mechanisms to justify why things are the way it believes that they are because mm -hmm. it's so intellectual and so sophisticated with its words and reasoning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, when you're working with somebody who's in the grips of this, um, it's one of the harder archetypes to work with. For me, I think like the victim archetype is really difficult to work with mm -hmm. and the intellectual archetype because... I could talk all day or demonstrate or however we're, we're working on it together about something, but they'll always be able to like find the loophole or the, the one thing that you said wrong or the thing yep. that's different or contradictory. And then that gets focused on and then all the possibilities for opening to a wider reality gets diminished. Mm -hmm. You know, training in on the one thing, like busting holes and in somebody's, uh, you know like perspective is a favorite thing of the intellect to do you've probably mm -hmm. all been around people who like you say something and then they're like well but what about this but what about this but what about this <laughs> like it's the inability to hold that the and that i was talking about in the overview a lot being able to hold the duality and non-duality like the intellectual is very like you know when you're in high school i don't know if you guys had this but we had like had to practice like debates and stuff and you were given a side and you had to argue that side even if you disagreed with it to like help you learn how to gather information and argue any side and or present any side and so in the debating like the intellectual is like to me it's like that it's like i am going to argue this side no matter what yeah. no matter what and so it's really <clears throat> difficult because how do you get out of that when when you're rigid in your belief system um and how do you transition into the so-called more positive archetype of the intuitive uh, to me, I think the, the fastest, most effective way to do that in a long-term sustainable basis is to begin trying to locate the physical body, getting down from the neck up and then turning that into getting down into the body and finding feelings, mm -hmm. even pains or sensations in the body, like noticing if you're in your head all the time processing, you might not even notice other pains in your body. Yeah. And sometimes, actually oftentimes, people who are only up in the head, um, their bodies call them back with illness and injury and different... I know that's happened to me lots of times. Mm -hmm. um, so transitioning, we have to start to work with feelings. Mm -hmm. We start to work with the things inside that um, maybe caused us to go up to our head in the first place, to find safety in the academia or the knowing of things. And once we sort of get to know both sides, we can sort of be with both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. I know when, because the intellect is important. It's important for delivering information. It's important for um, certain aspects of conversation. But I know for me, what's important is, can I still feel my body while I'm also using my mind? Mm -hmm. Can I feel my feet on the ground while I'm talking? Can I feel my butt on this chair while I'm, listening and while I'm also communicating and it's the balance between the two and once you've had some experience in both and you're in a conversation have you ever had been in a conversation where you feel like you have left your body and you're up in the mind and it's kind of going in circles mm -hmm. 
what I've come to notice is either I'm really in my intellect or the other person is also really in their intellect and I've kind of left my body. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had, do you have had that experience? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think it's like, like really common. Like people are yeah. just on autopilot in the intellect most of the time. Uh, and it's a defended place. I think that's like an important thing is like, we go up in there and like, why do we do that? I mean, we could pontificate about that for a long time. I think it's a defended place. Like mm. to be up up in the intellect, we're defended. We're like, you know, um, there's, there's something that I'm pushing away from mm. if I have to be in that place. And sometimes it's also just like, you know, I'm into astrology and all these different things. And sometimes it could be um, one of those things that like, a, you know like an air sign libra or aquarius or gemini is like that's the sign of intellect mm -hmm. and and it's like the sign the mind goes really quickly all the time da, 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 da. and so for those signs in particular it's really easy to get stuck in the intellect so you have to like really concentrate on noticing the speed of your mind mm -hmm. noticing it wanting to move from thing to thing and then learning to work with that and what helps you when you find yourself sort of in that <clears throat> headspace, intellectual space, and you've perhaps kind of are operating from the neck up? Hmm. I mean, that's a hard question because I simultaneously find myself there a lot and not a lot. It's like, it's kind of hard to put into words. Um, I spend a lot of time there. My mind is working quickly all the time. It's processing a lot. It's downloading a lot. Um, the thing is now, though, I'm, I can feel the other aspects of me while it does that at the same time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes I get totally lost in it. But now it's like, I can hold more of the and like I my mind is in the service of the overall mission of the being whereas before uh, the overall being was in the service of the mind now my mind is serving the rest of my body the rest of my being so what about in the past when you were first sort of learning to differentiate between the two did like breathing help or like did Honestly, for me, breathing didn't really help. I know it's like the main thing that people use as a go-to for ground, yeah. for that. And it helped in the sense that like, it, like at first that just made my mind speed up more. Really? It, yeah. It was like, okay, I'm breathing. Okay. I'm counting, you know, I'm counting my breath and I'm like, uh, it, it just attached. Exercise. Yeah. It attached to the exercise. Um, so for me, like the things that I need to do to balance the mind out, uh, so that it's in the service of my being rather than the other way around. Like it has to be something that's like really all encompassing. So like just sitting and breathing wouldn't do it for me then. Like I have to go on a really hard hike mm -hmm. or I have to go into nature where it's really overwhelmingly beautiful and I can't think about it. I'm just seeing it. Mm -hmm. Or like when I was with like my dog and like feeling the emotions between us, um, gardening getting my hands in dirt the time where my mind turns off a hundred percent is when i'm working with my apothecary stuff you know mm -hmm. and i'm creating herbal remedies it's like full intuitive mode comes on and all the creations come through 
th- that was I started doing that when I was like six I would like go to in my grandma's house and like take her old perfume bottles and go outside and like pick things and try to like distill them in water like that wouldn't really work but like it's like my I intuitively knew that works it works but like I, I wasn't really following like a methodology um but anyway it 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 immersed me into what it was that I was doing and I was using my senses outside of the mind. I don't know if that makes sense. But no, it does, that does make sense, especially because you're not really <clears throat> using language. Yes. I think sort of getting out of language is really helpful for getting to some of the, the, the different senses that are more centrally located in the body. For an air sign like me, for sure. Yeah. Like for this, the, the amount of traffic that goes on up there, sometimes it's just like, when is it going to stop? Right? I'm always pondering something. And that's still kind of the case. It's just now I can feel my feelings while I do that mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I get lost in it. It's just one of those things. But for, for different people, like uh, earth-based people and fire people have really have communicated that, and water people actually, that the breath is a really effective tool for them. Mm-hmm. That it's like it gives you something to anchor, consistent to ride on. Um, so I think it's like, I know it's different for everyone. What what kind of calms you out of the mind? Is, is it the breath initially helps? It's like the first sort of because if I think about it, it's kind of from the head to sort of the solar plexus, the expanse of the lungs and the neck mm-hmm. that helps me sort of get into my body initially. But I don't really follow it past one or two breaths because then once I'm there. I remember, oh, there's more here. So feeling my feet really has been the most helpful. Um, I think if I can feel the bottom of my feet, feel my feet on the surface, it spans my awareness throughout the fullest um, extent of my physical body, my physical container. It's like mind to soles of feet. Okay, this is where I am. I'm now oriented in space. I'm here. I'm not just solely focused in my mind and in the intellect. Um, and an accompanying breath, either before or after, I think helps as well. Um, but yeah, like, it's interesting to hear you say that the breath actually makes it speed up more for you. I've never really heard that. Um, I know I'm probably going to be kicked out of being a yoga no, teacher for saying no, that. <laughs> it makes sense though, because... I get actually get sped up in yoga classes when they're doing the box breathing. Oh my like, God. Yeah. I don't want to count. I don't want to wait. I don't want to have to panic on that waiting for more totally, air. Totally. That one. It, like it's the calming one, you know, that that's what we do. No, teach. it's too rigid in my opinion. It's super rigid for me too. Yeah. I mean, and that maybe everyone listening would be like, what? But a lot of people love that box breath. It's where you, you know, have the same count. Inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, keep it out for four. Um, it's you know said to be very calming. Uh, that has not been my experience with it. Uh, no, then I start drawing boxes in my head and I'm like, is it an equal box? Is it more of a rectangle? See, there it is. <laughs> it goes nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I like the breath when I'm already grounded. You know, it's just yeah. not that. It's very helpful for me. It's just not the primary go-to for me. I gotta totally disconnect, and my work requires a lot of my intellect to be firing all the time so for other people who have that where their work is constantly happening uh in the mind then 
it may be similar. Like I, I have to turn it all the way off, but I'll tell you what speeds it up. What? Social media. Oh, geez. Right. Cause I'm looking each post like this is, this is the intellect's dream. It's like, okay, so you have this place where you go and you look at all of this shit online and it's like, Ooh, this post. Blah, 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 blah. like analysis 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 what do i think of this yeah what, not just blah, 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 blah. the words or what's being depicted but like what happened here how did it get to there there's yeah. so much yeah and then as soon as you're done with that and you're scrolling right so it's like blah, 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 blah. the mind just like has a filled day in yeah. that and that's not necessarily the same thing as the archetype of the intellect i know we're kind of making it a little less clear by saying that but intellectualizing things leads to being in the intellectual archetype all the time mm-hmm. um which is different than the mind being busy right because the actual archetype is like not trusting feelings rigid lots of rules um you know the need to know everything intellectualizing the spiritual journey trying to control and master chaos this type of thing or ask someone how they feel and it's just a judgment or they get close to the feeling and then offer the other side which is also just an observation yeah, of so, a potential feeling oh my gosh yeah like uh the um this is the one that i always notice with that is when you ask somebody a feeling when we're working with someone and they say disappointed is the feeling they come up with how do you feel right now to disappointed you know because disappointed mm-hmm. is a thought mm-hmm. it's not a feeling and a, and, a, and a judgment. Yeah. Right? And you didn't get the expectation that you mm-hmm. should have mm-hmm. had. Or it didn't happen how you, it should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's interesting because it's, it's dancing around what a feeling is. And that is hallmark of the intellect. I'm dancing around what a feeling is. I mm-hmm. can't quite get there. So I think kind of pivoting, I'm uh, just looking at the little timer, 25 minutes in, boom, pivoting to the other one, intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's on the other pole of the spectrum? Now, in the, in the opening talk on this, I talked about duality and non-duality. So the, the, the perspective of either everything is separate or everything is all one. I talked about it a lot, so I'm not going to like go into it too much here, but when we look at the convergence of the main nadis, uh, in the sixth chakra, the third eye, uh, what it is about in a lot of ways is transcending duality and coming to a place of non-dual reality, meaning being able to sense and perceive the oneness of that permeates all the individual things, the thing that ties it all together, right? I am I, am I I'm also we, I'm all, you know, it's the both. That's where I get stuck, right? It's very hard for me. My intellect kicks on. It's like, well, am I an individual or am I the one? Or da, 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 da. So the sixth chakra is where all that processes. So the non-dual reality opens up in the sixth chakra. Mm-hmm. And so the intuitive is able to go into that world and move around a bit to sense. So it can sense the all that is. It can sense the field of awareness around it. It can sense beyond the five senses and realize the interconnectedness of things. And through that, gets impulses in the body and is able to make decisions, is able to use the unseen information to guide life. Mm -hmm. And no one knows where that unseen information is coming from. No. No one does. No, because like, you know, we've both worked with different like 
plant medicines and meditation techniques and holotropic breath and all these different things you do them a bunch of times the experience is different every time so it's like oh I, oh i saw the field of awareness but then the next time you go into the field of awareness is something totally different and good luck trying to intellectualize that i mean you see it drive crazy you see it a lot it this is what it is this is what it is this is what it does yes and it might not ever do that particular thing ever again ever again for you even yeah yeah in those spaces when you can really tap into that i don't know just ether of information it's amazing what comes up i remember one time we were in a um, a healing circle and the face of somebody came into my into my mind. I just saw their face, and I had no idea who that was. And then a year went by, and we went back to that same place, and I saw someone's face. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's the same person's face." Oh yeah, yeah. And intellectually, I'd never seen that person's face. And I was like, "Okay, I don't know where that came from. I don't know how that's possible. I can't intellectualize it. I could try, but." It's a field of, I mean, it's a field of all that is that, you know, that's a hard thing for humans. We're linear. We're like past, present, future, right? Or like, you know, it's hard for us to imagine reality as a circle, mm-hmm. all things occurring simultaneously, because that's not how with our senses, our five senses in our brain, that we typically perceive reality. We see it as linear. And so, yeah, the, the idea that there could be multiple realities, the idea that there could be multiple parallel universes, that everything's happening all at once. These are things that if we try to really think about, they just kind of make my head go. I read this book, uh, The Holographic Universe, and I was in like a mind fuck for like a couple months from that one. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And I was trying to intellectually process it, and I couldn't. But intuitively, I felt that everything it was saying was accurate. So that was a very hard one. It was a big opening for my third eye. Um, and sometimes you have to come up against the like competition between <laughs> the mind and the intuition and surrender to the things that you don't know and the things that you can't see. Yeah, and be gentle in, in, the, in the process because there are some people who are more, I don't know if it's, physically wired or um, environmentally um, conditioned to sense versus intuit like look at information and be a little bit more intellectual versus uh, someone who's more inclined to be intuitive and you know each person's going to have their own work in um, balancing the two mm-hmm. yeah and like one isn't better or worse necessarily like that's the thing where i think it gets stuck is like they both have you can go into the intuitive side and if you have no edges no boundaries no containment then you're kind of in for a world of trouble so you know it's important to be rationalizing and thinking and discerning with our cognitive waking mind and also sensing and feeling and perceiving these two things working in harmony but when we're talking about the actual archetype, you know, just for the record, the intuitive is doing that. The intuitive mm. archetype <clears throat> is balancing the mind and the intuition. They're mm. not lost over in the intuitive side, you mm. know, where they're just totally out of their body. Blissed out. Yeah. They're, yeah. 
they're in their body. But I mean, this is the thing, the ability to move between dual and non-dual reality, the ability to move between perception as I am an individual and I am all that is. To be able to move between those two things and reorient your point of perception is hallmark of being able to be in the intuitive. Mm-hmm. And if you're an intuitive healer, you're working with clients or you're helping people, whatever, you have to be able to have a sense of self and tap into the field of all the oneness that is. And if you lose your sense of self, it's very difficult to be helpful. So to move between these two points of reality, I think is an important thing to be able to cultivate. And nature really helps with that. Mm -hmm. It moves us from our head into our feeling and our sensing. And you see, just you go into nature where there's no humans around. I like the big mountains and lakes and streams Mm -hmm. and stuff. And you can see the interconnectedness of things without thinking about it. You just look around and it's like the ecosystem is a web. Mm. And you see that web and then you find yourself in that web and you start to sense the web of life around you and you sense the field that is pulsing with so much intelligence. You sense it. You feel it. You take it in. Mm -hmm. But if you tried to analyze the whole (laughs) landscape and see how this woodpecker connects to that tree, that connects to that soil, that connects to that bog, that connects to that plant, that connects to that bee, just drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a sensing. You'd miss the art too. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you said like analyzing like artists are, you know, they're with, they're with the thing in the mm. moment, you know, and that's it. They're with what it's going to become and just kind of helping make it here, bring it here. Yeah. I think that's a cool thing that art and music and song and things and poetry can do. It's like telling us these deep truths that you could never get from the intellect. Yeah. But they're so potent yeah. and, and available in so few words yeah. or in just one image. It's telling these deep, deep truths. Or they can also speak to multiple truths simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. The intuitive, um, you know, how do we start to cultivate this? So I said before, like the feelings, right? You got to come into the body, you got to feel your feelings and start gently, slowly working into the places where it's difficult to feel, etc., and giving yourself a lot of time to do this. This is not an overnight process. It takes time. Sometimes you can find things that speed it up. You know, we talked about different ways that that happens, but uh, it's good to have a practice that goes with those things where you take time to go slow. And um, dreaming. This is another big thing about the intuitive. Dreaming. The intuitive sees symbols in all things and is interested in the meaning of symbols that they see. For the intuitive, everything has a meaning. So nothing is by chance. Everything is ordered by a divine intelligence that you are part of, and there are no accidents or mistakes, even seemingly so in the moment, even very difficult things. The intuitive has a sense that there is a rhythm behind it all, larger than they can understand that they are a part of. So they're looking for symbols. They're looking for meaning. and that can turn into over-searching, of course, but when it's balanced, we're, we're just the meaning that comes to us, we're being with that meaning. And, you know, using their intuitive skills to guide others, not telling others what to do or predicting the future for them, although that is part of the intuitive, is the psychic skills of seeing beyond this present moment. Um, but the intuitive healer doesn't, 
doesn't tell others what they see or how to go about their lives, but maybe uses mm-hmm. what they see to be pointing someone in a direction gently. That's a very, very, I think, important and often overlooked um, piece of the healing arts. Is I remember when I was younger, I got this notion that if there were such things as psychics and mystics, that they would just tell you what you need to know. And it's not, it doesn't work like that. It's Mm-mm. like, even if you have a picture intuitively of what this person, you know, what's going to happen or what is going on. It's like, you use that information to help them figure out within themselves the answers that they know somewhere, but are kind of hidden. Yeah, it's robbing someone of their journey to tell someone who and what they are and what they should do next. Because all of the great wealth of wisdom that we acquire is is through going on the journey. Yeah. So, you know, I've met lots of people who have the gift of intuition turned on, the gift of psychicness turned on, and uh, it can be used irresponsibly for sure. But as the archetype, you know, we know in that archetype when it's embodied in a healthy way that we don't need to tell people what we see because that's for us. And maybe if we're a guide and we can, from time to time, ask a question that might point them in a direction towards themselves. Um, And I think that's an important part. So dreaming, right? Like if you're tapped into the field of all that is, that's all being using your psychic gifts is about. And by the way, anyone can do this. This isn't like, so often it's like, oh, this super special psychic. Yes, there are some people who are more predisposed to certain things, just like someone's more predisposed to being an athlete. But that doesn't mean that other people can't develop athleticism, right? Um, It's the same thing with intuitive work and psychic work. Anybody can do it. It just is a matter of wanting to do it and practicing like any other muscle that you have to build. So a really good way to start, um, if you're wanting to connect to this more, is with your dreams. If you recall your dreams, and even if you don't, within the first five minutes of waking, because it'll you'll fade from the sort of field of all that is back into your individual percep- perspective quite quickly, uh, you have a journal by your bed and you just write down anything. And it can just be one word. It can be a color. It doesn't have to be a lot, but something that connected you to the other worldly realm. You can just write that down and see what happens. And over time, and if you can remember more of your dream, then you can use that dream to uh, be written down in your book. And you can, over time, become in a place where you look back and find wisdom and insight from that. So dreaming and tracking your dreams is really helpful sometimes. You don't have to try to interpret them, just to, just tracking them a little, little by little. Um, and... You know, sometimes when you get a gut feeling, following your gut, going with your gut, being with what you feel, that's an important way to develop intuition. Because like anything else, once you do it and, you know, you have an experience with it, then you build the relationship with doing that thing. Uh, And it becomes more comfortable, more familiar territory. So listening to the gut, going with your gut. um, And so between expressing feelings and Uh, dream work and listening to the gut you can really start to build this aspect of yourself and I think it's a really important part of ourselves to build because it's been diminished in our culture for a long time and the sensing and the feeling and the being with the unseen aspects of things 
I think that's where much of the richness of life is located. And likely the intellect is already pretty strong. Yeah. Because we really need that in this culture to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So playing with them and just, just kind of starting to see like, where am I on this spectrum? And in, and everybody oscillates. So in what ways am I caught in my intellect is a good question to ask yourself. And in what ways am I already well grounded in my intuitive? Because you're, you're likely both. You could be a mother, mother's instinct, right? That could be one way you're grounded in your intuitive, even if you're very intellectual. In your work, you might be very intuitive with animals, with your plants and your garden. So we all have this. So just pondering that question for a little while for yourself. Um, in what ways am I in my intellect? And in what ways am I already grounded in my intuitive? And I think that'll do it for this one and um, answer the questions below and ask any questions that you have.